We exist to see God glorified and churches multiplied by declaring and displaying the gospel. All right, guys. Hey, we're going to go ahead and get started. More people will be logging in. Um, as, as I shared a little bit ago, for those of you who weren't in here yet, we're, um, we're using a new um, app today called Caster. And Caster allows us to um, post our video, um, this live stream, not just to Facebook Live, but also to YouTube um, and also to our website. And so uh, this video is going out to all three of those. So you're able to log in to any of those um, and check out um, our sermons on Sunday mornings that will be stored here in Facebook Live. And then we're going to pull those videos, post them on our website in our sermons area as well. So they will be saved there um, uh, indefinitely. And so we, uh, and we're we super glad for technology to be, able to be able to do that. Hey, just a couple announcements for you guys uh, before we um, pray and get into uh, a word this morning. I wanted to remind you just of some connect points that we have over the coming weeks. Um, yesterday, our elders met and we did a basically a three-month plan. Now, we're not sure how long this will last. We know that starting Tuesday, all of us in Kansas City are basically on lockdown for at least 30 days. Um, and, and, and assuming that there will be some sort of restrictions ongoing beyond that. Uh, so just kind of thought out um, about three months of what this could look like for us. But, but some of the different connect points that we have as a church, um, every Sunday morning, 1045, we'll be doing this live stream sermon. Uh, you will have um, delivered to you via our blog. Um, you're looking to Sunday um, for every week. And so I know I've already seen some of you comment that you enjoyed that this morning as a family, uh, where we're posting um, links to songs and confessions and um, and prayers and those sorts of things for you as a family to do together to have a Sunday morning family worship uh, before you log on to hear the sermon here. Uh, so we'll continue to do that. Uh, we've also on our new uh, YouTube channel are posting weekly um, kids um, videos. And so we have some amazing kids workers who are going to be reading the Bible story to our kids every week uh, and, and others who are doing kids songs. And so those will be posted for you and coming to you uh, so that you can um, can share those with your children and continue to to have them worship in some of the ways that they have um, when they get together. Um, we also on Wednesday mornings, we'll be doing a men's prayer group via Zoom. And so if some of you men, um, some of you men have been joining that anyways live uh, and that's going to be ongoing via Zoom. You can continue that. Some of you others might have some more time on your hand, might just feel the need for that more um, right now. And it could be a great opportunity for you to jump in and join that. Uh, reach out to Pastor Sam if you're interested in that and he can get you in on the invite for that. Um, and so there's a, there's a men's prayer group there on Wednesday mornings. There's a pastoral connect that we're going to start this Thursday, uh, which is basically just going to be a time where one of our pastors each week just, um, opens up a, a brief devotion for you. Um, kind of some thoughts that we've had that the Lord's been teaching us through our daily reading of scripture and those things. So we're going to share that with you and then lead you in a time of prayer. Um, some things that maybe we want to bring to you to pray for. And we, because it will be on zoom, we'll probably even open it up for you to share some things briefly for prayer that we can then pray for you specifically about. And so that's open to the entire church. We'll be sending out a link to that zoom invite. Um, so that any of you and as many of you that want to join us for that every Thursday night at 8 30 PM, we did it then so that you can put your kids down to bed and then you can come in and you can be a part of, um, of the zoom, um, gathering. And so that will be there. Uh, uh, and then we're also going to have a women's worship and prayer um, that just occasionally happens. Last night, our women gathered via Zoom for worship. Uh, it was a really sweet time um, for them. I could hear my daughter and others singing outside. Um, on, she was on the back deck at our house and it was a sweet time. So the women will occasionally be doing um, some of those sorts of things. So those are just some areas that you can continue to connect with others within Emmaus uh, as we are in this, um, this difficult season. And I encourage you uh, to do so. Hey, I want us to pray. Um, and, and as we pray, I want us to pray for a couple specific things. I want us to pray for Emmaus partners. Uh, we, we have partners all over the globe. Uh, let, me, let me just read off for you those who have come out of our church and are part, we are partnering with in different parts of the globe here. Uh, Darian in North Africa, Mariella in South Asia, Glenn and Carrie in Seattle, Washington, um, Corey and Jamie in Ro Bristol, Rhode Island, Michael and Christy in St. Clair, Missouri. Colton and Leah in DeSoto, Missouri, Drake and Allie in Waco, Texas, Sammy and Hannah in Wichita, Kansas, and Francesco and Claudio, Claudia Arco in Northern Italy. 
Um, they happen to be in the epicenter of the Italian um, chaos that's going on uh, with the coronavirus. Um, so we have people who have come out of us who are in very different places, um, in, in different situations that are dealing with this this virus and the things that are going on there. We want to remember them, um, especially our ladies who are overseas and especially for um, Francesco and Claudia who are there in, in northern Italy. We want to remember them as they're in difficult places and as they're kind of more isolated even than, than others. We want to pray for God's strength and grace um, for them. And then we want to pray for, for you, our members. Some of you have already lost your job um, because of this. Some of you uh, haven't lost your job. You might not lose your job, but for the next 30 days, uh, you're not going to be able to work. You have a, um, a stream of income that has uh, depleted for the next 30 days. And some of you um, have family members who have um, contracted um, the, the, the coronavirus. Uh, some of you have had symptoms that you think could be, but you just don't qualify for testing. Um, there, there are various levels of, um, of brokenness. Some, some of you are just in places where you, um, and you're just lonely in this season. Like you, you're, you're alone, you're, um, you need people to be around you, and, and this is already starting to be a little stir crazy, and it's just the beginning of it. We just want to take a moment and pray for those things as well. So let's do that. Let's pray um, briefly, and then we will um, jump into um, our text here today, okay? Jesus, you are very, very kind to allow us um, to hear from your word today. Father, I pray this prayer every Sunday when we gather as a church, and I thank you for your kindness to allow us together. Today, I don't get to pray that prayer. Today, we don't get to gather together and don't get to see each other's faces and hug each other's necks and be in a room and hear each other sing. But you have been kind to allow us today to hear from your word and to allow us to worship as families. And we thank you for that. Father, we pray for our friends um, whom we have sent out to the nations, whom serve you in, in other nations and other cities. We pray for your strength for them as they lead their churches as they share the gospel in the midst of chaos and fear, would you protect them and keep them safe? Would you give them endurance and strength and wisdom? Father, would you be with our members who have lost jobs, who don't know where the next paycheck is going to come from, who have family members who have been inflicted with this virus, who may be sick themselves and, and wondering what the outcome is? Father, would you give grace? Would you provide May this be a season where we see the church be the church and care for us and help us in carrying one another's burdens. May we see you be the God that you have promised to be, that you have not left us or forsaken us in this, that you see our needs, that you are our provider and our sustainer and our healer. May our faith be strengthened through this. And then, Spirit, would you speak to us through the word of Christ today? Would you preach a better sermon than I have prepared? Would you move within the hearts of individuals and families within their homes, though we are separated at a distance? May your timeless words speak a timely message to us today. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Church, I just wanted to do one other thing before we um, jump into this text. I just wanted to remind you of this. It is not our goal on Sunday mornings at this time to reproduce what we do when we gather. Oh, as a church, we don't believe that we are gathering together as a church in this moment. We are all logged into the same place watching a sermon, and that's a great gift from the Lord. But but what this is, is just what that just what I said. It, it's a sermon. Right? This is not the church gathered. Um, we we don't plan to do worship together this way through live stream. We don't plan to do communion um, through um, live stream. Uh, we want to um, we, our goal is not to reproduce what we do on Sunday mornings. Our goal is to encourage you through the written and preached word of, of Christ. And our goal is to continue together to look and long for the day that we get to join back together, um, the day that we get to be the gathered church again. And so so just know that the, the goal of this, we're not calling this church online. We're not calling this, um, you know, come come worship with us when we do invites. Um, this is simply us preaching the word to you to encourage your souls, to glorify Christ, to share the gospel um, at a week, each week uh, so that we continue to have our souls filled by the word of God um, through um, your pastors. And it gives us an opportunity to care for you in a way. But our longing is for the day that we get to come back together. 
um, probably first in small groups. And then as a full church, our, our longing is for that. We're looking to that with anticipation. Uh, this morning, I, I like had wept kind of thinking about that and looking towards that, what that day would be like missing you all. I'm not a hugger and I can't wait to hug you guys um, and to, to see you all. Uh, again. And then ultimately, it's my prayer and, and your pastor's prayer that this would not just cause us to long for that day that we get together again as a church at 406 Armor Road in the theater, but that it would cause us to long for the day that we get to gather with the universal church, the, the eternal church gathered around the throne room of Christ, where, where that worship and that gathering will never be interrupted again. Um, that's a longing that we have. And so I'm praying um, for you as we all together long for those days. But this is a very special thing we do get to do. We get to hear from the word of God this morning. We're continuing our series through um, through the, the prophets. Uh, very timely. In fact, uh, yesterday we were reminded of a phrase that Pastor Ronnie shared in his sermon on Neo um, a few weeks ago. I forget what book he was preaching through, but but he preached uh, a few weeks ago. And I believe uh, it was uh, a phrase that I'm not going to give it to you because we're going to save it and use it later. But but Ronnie basically um, accidentally prophesied that this was going to happen. Um, and uh, he, he just kind of gave an illustration that was an illustration similar to what we're experiencing right now. Uh, and, and I love how the Lord has even using um, this journey through the prophets that we had planned before to kind of help us understand and see what it's like um, to to be separated. If you remember in the prophets, what's going on is is God has brought judgment on his people their rebellion and their sinfulness and their straying from the Lord and their their following of idols. And he has done what he had promised that he would do. He has brought um, judgment upon them by sending in other nations to conquer them and to lead them away into exile. They have been separated from their people, separated from their place of worship, separated from their their faith, if you will, at, at, the, at the temple. And they have now been put into exile and they are awaiting the day that they get to return home, that they get to gather together as the people of God again. It's a very timely for us in this season. Today, we're looking at the book of Daniel. Daniel happens to be the very first um, book that I ever taught through. I was 18. I was a senior in high school. Um, I was leading a Bible study for our youth group, which was uh, that sound might sound, you know, amazing. But it was uh, I think there was five or six of us. And uh, and I was leading a Bible study for that group. And it was um, I just my dad always preached through books of the Bible. So that's all I knew to do. Um, let's let's just teach through a book of the Bible. I love narrative. I love stories. I love the stories of Daniel. So I started teaching through the book of Daniel. Um, I was 18. I was untrained. I had never done any um, teaching or, or, or study like this. I had never even actually read the entire book of Daniel. So what happens is we get through chapter six and the next week I look at chapter seven and I realize Daniel changes greatly in chapter seven. It goes from being narrative to being um, prophetic, even apocalyptic. And, and I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know how to handle it. I didn't know how to understand it. I flipped through the rest of Daniel, saw that the rest of the book was that same way. And so the next week, I just didn't teach anymore in Daniel. We were done. It was a series over Daniel chapter one through six. I don't know what I did the next week, but we did not do Daniel. Our elders um, even joke that if, if I have a one and done sermon, uh, if, if it's just like, hey, you get to preach one sermon. It's not in a series, just one sermon. Where are you going to preach from? Uh, that that there's a 99.5% chance that Pastor Ronnie's going to choose an epistle. And there's a 99.5% chance that I'm going to choose a narrative from somewhere within scripture. I love to preach stories. So it was kind of ironic a few weeks ago when I texted our um, elders and told them that um, I said, would you believe it if I told you that Joshua Hedger is going to preach his one sermon from the book of Daniel, not out of the narrative chapters one through six, but out of the prophetic chapter uh, seven. And so if you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to Daniel chapter seven, um, that's where we're going to be today. Let me give you just a little bit of um, a background here into Daniel um, and, and what we see going on within this text. Uh, Daniel is an interesting book. 
Right. Daniel's an interesting book. It's it's got two major genres, as I just pointed out. It's got a, um, a narrative genre, kind of historical narrative genre, chapters one through six, where Daniel's explaining um, uh, what has taken place as him and his friends have been led into exile. And he's kind of explaining their experiences and God's faithfulness and their faithfulness and um, and the trials that they have gone through. And then it's also got um, a prophetic literature um, that that happens in, in chapters seven through twelve, uh, where Daniel's Daniel is having visions and dreams, and he's speaking those to us, sharing with us what he sees the Lord telling him is going to transpire um, in in the future. Uh, The book of Daniel is also written in two different languages. Chapter one is written in Hebrew, and then chapters two through seven in um, in Aramaic, and then chapters eight through 12 comes back and is in Hebrew again. Uh, And and the the languages and the genres don't line up perfectly. Uh, they, They overlap one another, kind of tying the entire book together in a way. And then it's a book that covers two kingdoms and and two kings. You've got the people of Israel who are led into captivity with Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. And the book ends with Belshazzar and and, and Persia. Daniel serves through both of those kings and both of their kingdoms. Even his narrative in chapters one through six cover two different kings and two different kingdoms who um, who have risen to power over the people of Israel during that period of time. There's a lot of interesting things that could take that we could talk about and, and land on there. And I'll give you some um, some more insight into some of the historical parts, some of the narrative parts here um, in a moment. Daniel and his friends are um, are young men in Judah. They're wise young men, perhaps noble young men. Um, they're gifted young men. Uh, and when Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar come in and they capture Judah and they they take the people into exile, um, Nebuchadnezzar brings into his um, palace uh, sharp, wise, attractive, um, gifted young men um, to to serve within his um, courts. And in one way, it's their goal of raising these men up and indoctrinating them into their culture and into their religion and into their life um, and, and indoctrinating them so that they grow up with the values of Babylon so that they would then lead their people to um, to follow the ways of, of Babylon. And so that the king has brought Daniel and his friends into this place. They are part of those chosen men who have gotten to be invited in um, and raised and indoctrinated by the king of Babylon and his courts. There's two themes that I want us to be aware of as we're um, as we're talking through the book of Daniel. It's kind of two themes. There's more themes than that, but two themes I want us to be aware of in here. One theme is the theme of faithfulness to God in the midst of exile. Uh, Daniel's a great book for us to look at about what it about what it looks like to stand faithfully in the face of persecution, faithfully in the face of of trials and of suffering, faithfully in the um, in the in the area of politics and and courts and um, and government. Uh, it, it's a great way for us to understand and look at um, just faithfulness to God in the in the midst of our exile. Daniel and his friends in chapter one don't eat the food that the king offers them because they refuse to be fully indoctrinated into the Babylonian culture. They want to be obedient to the Lord. They want to be faithful to him and not completely give up their um, faith and their culture. So they refuse to eat the food. They, they come and they request permission not to eat the king's food and instead to eat their own diet. And um, the Lord's faithful to them um, in that and grants allows the king to grant that to them and then allows them to be strong and wise from that. Um, in chapter three, Daniel and his friends refused to bow down and, and Dan, excuse me, Daniel's friends refused to bow down and worship idols, um, even though it's going to cost them uh, their lives. And so the king sets up an idol, um, calls everyone to bow down and worship it. They refuse to. The penalty is to be thrown into a furnace and burned alive. Uh, and they, uh, they, they are reminded of that. When they don't bow down and worship, the king brings them and says, listen, this is what's going to happen to you. I'm going to give you another chance. Go back and, and worship the idol. And they still refuse to do so, um, trusting that even if God does not um, rescue them from the fire, they are still going to obey God. And, and they stand faithfully in the face of this persecution. In Daniel chapter 6, you have Daniel remaining faithful to, to pray to his God, not to the king. And, and so Daniel stays faithful in his time of prayer, and he faces persecution, even thrown into a pit of lions. And he knows that's the outcome. He knows that's what will happen um, if he continues to pray. But he doesn't give up his uh, reliance upon the Lord. He doesn't trust uh, the king for his protection. Rather, he trusts God for his protection. Um, and he even trusts God um, with his death. And so Daniel prays, and he's thrown into 
to the lines. There's, it's a book that gives us great illustrations of faithfulness to God in the midst of our exile. But the second theme that I want us to see, and the theme that I think is a grander theme within this book, though those stories are great, and it's amazing, uh, the faithfulness of these men is amazing, and it's inspiring, and it, it has a thing to teach us for sure, that has profit for us. The thing that I believe is even more valuable for us to see within this is the faithfulness of God in the midst of exile. Right? Not the faithfulness of us in exile, but the faithfulness of God to us in exile. Or, or in other words, we want to see God's sovereign and fa- so- sovereignty and faithfulness in um, our lives and in our world. Right? Throughout this book, God raises up and puts down kings. Right? God is the one with power to raise up kings and put people in power. And he's the one with the power to, to defeat kings and bring them down and put others in power. In chapters two and four, God gives and interprets dreams. So God gives dreams to various people and he interprets dreams. In chapter five, God writes on the walls with his finger. Like literally he shows up at the dining room and he writes a message on the wall with his finger to the king. In chapter three, God preserves lives from fire. Like literally... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who are thrown in the fire, God protects them, saves their lives. They don't die. They don't even come out smelling like smoke. God has the power to protect them. He's faithful to them in the midst of that. In chapter 6, God tames lions. He closes the hungry lion's mouths. He doesn't allow them to eat or to harm Daniel. The lions listen to him. In chapter 4, God makes Nebuchadnezzar go crazy like an animal of the fields until he repents and worships God. Literally, Nebuchadnezzar won't worship God. He's rebellious towards God. And so God makes him go crazy and become like a beast of the fields, eating grass like a cow until he comes to his senses and repents. And then the Lord heals him of that. Ultimately, we see this theme play out in various ways throughout this book. God sends his people into captivity because of the rebellion and disobedience, just as he said he would. And God preserves his people in captivity because he will keep his promises to preserve them and bring the Savior through them. So God sends them to captivity because of the rebellion, just as he had promised. And then God preserves them in captivity because of his faithfulness, just as he had promised that he would. So God sending them to captivity, God allowing them to suffer, God allowing them to go through this trial and this season and this this brokenness of their their entire world being shattered was not his hatred towards them or his anger um, necessarily leashed out upon them. It was his faithful promise and love for them to lead them back into repentance through their exile. God is faithful in the midst of this. And with these things in mind, I want us to look at chapter 7. I want us to read today um, in chapter 7. I want us to see a few things about this um, faithful, sovereign, powerful God that we have. And then I want us to see something about his son, Christ, in the midst of this passage. We could spend a lot of time in chapter 7. And just as you know, as we get to read this, there's going to be some confusing parts. We could spend a lot of time um, in Daniel trying to interpret the exact specific details of everything that's happening. And it would be understandable to do so or to try to do that. Even Daniel in chapter 7 desires to know more details about what he's seeing. He's confused and he asks God to explain it to him more, to, to give him more insight into it. It would be appropriate for us to want to know the details. So what, who are these kingdoms and, and when did this transpire and has this transpired yet? And, and what's this mean specifically for us? But, but I want us to be careful that if we attempt to read Daniel um, direct, by directly identifying each vision, we're likely to miss the forest for the trees. Right? We're likely to miss the main point. We're likely to, to um, miss, miss um, what he's trying to tell us. Sinclair Ferguson talks about this. He says, God not only revealed facts about history in advance, he revealed himself to Daniel, impressing on him something of his own awesome and glorious purposes. Miss this, and we miss almost everything. Right? This is true of Daniel, and it's true of all the prophets. God is not just revealing facts about history in advance, He is revealing Himself to us. And so, what we want to do as we look to this 
prophecy that Daniel has for us is we want to see what God is revealing about himself to us. We want to have a glimpse of who God is, what he's telling us about him, so that our hearts might be um, led to worship of him um, through that. So with that, let's read Daniel chapter 7, verses 1 through 8. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then I looked, and its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground, and I made, and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear, it was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. And after this I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back, and with a beast, and, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. And after this I saw the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. Right now, that is likely one of the most confusing texts of scripture that we've probably ever read on a Sunday morning at Emmaus. Uh, it is um, it, it is uh, it is imagery. There, there is a lot of imagery here. D Daniel is seeing these visions and we don't exactly know what they mean. We don't exactly know um, what each detail of this points to, which who the kingdoms are and what is going on. But there's something that we see here um, that is beautiful. Daniel's vision is bringing forth for um, for us four different kingdoms, right? The four beasts um, equal four different kingdoms. They're powerful, right? These kingdoms bring death with them. They rule with power. These are kingdoms that rule over the, the earth, that conquer others, that that kill and that plund, um, plunder and that, that take for their own. They're, they're kingdoms that take power and become strong and mighty within our world. But I want you to notice that these four kingdoms are given their rule by God, and they have their rule removed by God. Right, the text goes through and says that the beasts were lifted up, they were raised up, they were commanded, and dominion was given to them. They didn't take their own dominion, it was given to them. Right, they didn't lift themselves up, they were lifted up. They didn't raise themselves up, they were raised up. They, they were even commanded, instructed by God. Right, these kingdoms, which have this deathly, ugly, evil type of power received their ability to have that power. And you're even placed in place in place of that power through the sovereignty of, of God. Now, perhaps that sets at first dis as discouragement with you. Why would God give them that power? Well, we don't exactly know the answer to that question in its entirety, but, but here's what we do know. What is encouraging in this is that their power does not surpass the power of our God. God allows them to be in power. God raises them up and places them there, and God removes their power. God takes their power away. He ultimately is in control. It's important for us to remember that even the kingdoms of this world, no matter how pagan, no matter how powerful, no matter how hopeless they seem, to remember that it is God who gives power and takes away power. It's God who raises up and God who puts down, and sometimes he raises up those whom we see as evil for his own purposes. That's hard to, hard to wrap our minds around, but may we be encouraged that it is God who has the ultimate power. There is this eternal story taking place, and we find ourselves in one chapter of that story, having not yet seen the other chapters to come and how the Lord does this, but he does it. Daniel is giving us a glimpse of the chapters which are to come. Now, look with me to Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 through 12. So Daniel has just given us this scene of four kingdoms and their power that has been given to them. And now he gives us another scene, 
chapter 7, verse 9. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, and its wheels were burning fire. The stream of fire issued and came out from before him, and a thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of a sound of a great, the great words that the horn was speaking, and I looked, and the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. The scene shifts. You have, you have the powers, you have these, these, these powers, these empires, these um, kingdoms and their power and their blood and their, their death that comes from them, their rule. And the scene shifts and Daniel sees thrones brought out. And the Ancient of Days comes and sits upon the throne. I want us to see five pictures of God. Daniel's giving us imagery here. I want us to see five pictures of God, five images of God from what we just read. First is this, God is the Ancient of Days. I want you to notice, church, that others come and go. Kingdoms come and go. Viruses come and go. Rulers come and go. But God is the ancient of days. He has an eternally held authority and an an eternally will hold authority. He holds it all in the palm of his hand. He is the ancient of days. He's always been and he always will be. And in the midst of his rule, other kingdoms will come and go and he will give power to his various kingdoms here and there, raise up some and put down others. And at the end of it all, though, it will be him who continues to sit upon the throne. He is the ancient of days. The second image I want us to see of God from here is God is sitting. God is sitting. All the other kings and the kingdoms are frantic. Right? They're constantly scrambling for power, seeking to get ahead, and then worried about staying ahead. You see this with kingdoms and with world powers and, and political parties and, um, and leaders. They, they, they scramble and they work and they fight to, to get ahead, to, to get above the other one, to push someone else down and to elevate themselves and to get more power. And then once they have the power, they're fighting and scrambling to keep the power. We've even seen this some in the midst of what's going on right now with the virus, political parties and, and nations using a situation like we find ourselves in right now with the coronavirus to elevate and to get ahead for their party or for their nation, um, casting blame on others and, uh, and, and scrambling and fighting to, to elevate themselves to get more power, to hold on to the power that they've already received. This is what kingdoms of the earth do. And yet God is sitting The Ancient of Days sits on his throne and he's not worried about losing his power. He's not frantically going about days trying to keep grasp of what he has control of. He's not worried about what tragedy will come tomorrow and take away his power. He's not worried about his approval ratings or, or what is happening there. He is sitting at peace on his throne as the Ancient of Days who rules for all of eternity. Our God is not frantic today, church. What is going on in our world is not frazzling him. It's not panicking him. He's not scrambling for answers. He's sitting at peace on the Nice talking with you. I'm not sure what that was. I think Siri told me it was nice talking to me. So apologize for her chiming into my message. Third picture of God, third image of God. God is white as snow and pure wool. God is white as snow and pure wool. Look at it in the text. He says, thrones were placed and the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. God has not tainted himself, church, in his attempt to gain or to keep power. He's not sold his soul for power. He hasn't dove into the depths of darkness to gain control. As one commentator said, he has never compromised his righteous dealings in establishing his kingdom as humans have in gaining their kingdoms. 
God has never compromised his righteousness to get power. The power is already his and it will always be his and it always has been his. He's not compromising himself to get it. He's not sacrificing his righteousness or his holiness or his goodness or his love or his justness to hold on to his power. God is pure in that. Right, we even see this displayed in the life of Christ when he is on in temptation in the garden. Right, The authority and the power is his. He tells us this later, that all authority and power has been given to him. And yet he's tempted in the garden to compromise, to give up his righteousness, to give up his, his trust in God the Father in order to gain power. And, and he refuses to do so. He remains faithful. He has never compromised himself. He is pure in his authority, pure as the ancient of days. Fourthly, God sits on a throne of fire. Look at the text. Thrones were placed, and the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, and its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. Right, The throne which he sits on, church, is a throne of fire. God is the ancient of days, has always been, always will be. He's sitting in peace with his authority. He's sitting in purity as this ancient of days. And yet he's sitting on a throne of fire. The, the image for us is one of, of authority. This, this throne which he sits on has a bite to it. It has a burn to it. His, his power and his authority is one of peace as he is sitting there in peacefulness. He, he is at peace with himself and with his rule. He's not frantic. He's not worried. He's not scrambling. But his throne is one of fire. It's one that will burn. It's one of judgment. The image we see here is the image of a people gathered around a throne of judgment where the judge happens to be the eternal um, the eternal king who holds all authority for all of time. He's sitting in a throne of fire, a throne of judgment. He will give a verdict one day. He will give a verdict on the world. He'll give a verdict on each life, my life and your life. He will give a verdict on you and your rebellion and your sin towards him. And he'll give a verdict on your faithfulness to him in Christ. He will rule in favor of some. And he will condemn some. And his ruling church will be final. There'll be no arguing it. There'll be no appealing it. There'll be no final arguments. He will give a verdict and it will be the final verdict. If you're found pardoned, there will never be another case brought up to you, before you, that could condemn you. If you're found guilty, there will never be anything you can do to try to convince him otherwise. His verdict is final. He is the judge. No jury is needed. He knows all the evidence and he will not be convinced otherwise. So this ancient of days, it's on the throne of fire, a throne of judgment, and each of us will have to face that judgment. Fifthly, God is surrounded by a multitude. God is surrounded by a multitude. Look at the text, verse 19. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. Right before the king are 10,000s times 10,000s. A multitude of people gathered around the throne of God. And Daniel, who had suffered so often alone, who had stood alone in the face of these earthly kingdoms. He had stood alone against the king's indoctrination. He had stood alone in prayer to his God. He had stood alone when facing judgment of death. He had stood alone in the den of lions. He had stood alone interpreting dreams to the king under threat of execution. He stood alone telling the kings of their future, knowing that it could end with the rage of the king being poured out against him. Daniel, who had so often stood alone in the face of trial, now indeed sees that he was not alone. Daniel was not alone after all, church. He felt alone. He stood physically alone. And yet now he sees that gathered around the throne room of God, he was not alone. 
thousands upon thousands of others who had placed their faith in his God were gathered there. Sinclair Ferguson, again, gives insight into this. And he says, Daniel was an earthly outpost of the heavenly garrison, right? There's this heavenly garrison, this, this great multitude. And Daniel just happened to be an earthly outpost by himself for a period of time. But he was not truly by himself. He was part of something much larger than himself. A great multitude had gathered around the throne of the ancient of days. He was part of this eternal army of saints. How hopeful this must have been to him, church. How hopeful it must have been to Daniel in this moment to see that he truly was not alone. To see that there were brothers and sisters, men and women, who had lived before him and who had lived around him and who would live far, far after him like you and like I, who one day will all be gathered around the throne of the Ancient of Days together. Daniel was not alone. And church, you are not alone in your trials and in your persecutions. You may feel alone, but you are not alone. There is a great cloud of witnesses. There are many who will gather around the throne room of God one day, a multitude with you. You are not alone. And though I know it's not a direct application to this text, right? this text was dealing specifically with standing alone in the face of persecution and Daniel seeing the future and, and the multitude gathered around the throne room of God, I do think that we can take great encouragement from this text considering today's pandemic. Today we find ourselves alone in our homes, separated from each other, not able to worship together, not able to laugh together, to embrace each other, to lay hands on each other. Some of you feel very alone today. And some of you will continue to feel alone for the coming days. I want you to be encouraged, brothers and sisters. You are not alone forever. However long this takes and to whatever extent we are one day able to come back together, the future of each of us who are found in Christ through faith is that we will all be gathered with a great multitude around the throne of God. And that multitude will never be broken up. That gathering will never be suspended. We are not eternally alone. We are not eternally separated. Be encouraged by this today, church. This season of trial is difficult and hard and it causes us to long and be encouraged that not only do we pray we will be able to gather together again one day as a church, but even if that doesn't happen, we will one day gather together as the church, as multitudes of those who have placed their faith in Jesus, and we will gather together eternally, worshiping our King. Fifthly, the Ancient of Days has power over all the kingdoms of the world. And the Ancient of Days has power over all the kingdoms of the world. Verse 11, I looked, and then because of the sound of the great words of the horn was speaking, and as I looked, a beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. And for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Notice that the kingdoms are even prideful and defiant to the very end. There's a great voice coming out of them, a great defiance coming out of them. He looks and he, Daniel turns and sees them. And, and as he looks, God, the Ancient of Days, slays the beast and destroys its body and gives it over to be burned by fire. And the other beasts says their lives were prolonged for a season and a time, but their dominion was taken away. God holds within his hands the power to in an instant wipe away the dominion of these kingdoms, to, to rid the earth of their tyranny, to remove them and their authority, to slay the beast, to kill the kingdoms, and to prolong their lives for a season if he wills. The Ancient of Days has sovereign power over all kingdoms of the world. He's more powerful than Babylon, than Persia, Israel, Greece, and Rome, the Catholic Empire, and the Islamic nation, and the United States of America. He's more powerful than any worldview, religion, or philosophy. He's stronger than the sexual revolution, the Republican Party, the Democratic Party, the Nazis, and ISIS. 
We could name every movement, every power, every empire the world has ever known, and they all will fade away. They all will have their dominion stripped because the ancient of days sits on his eternal throne of judgment. Even the coronavirus church one day will be uh, one day will be no more for God will remove all consequences of sin, including sickness and disease. He is sovereign. He is in control. He holds authority over all kingdoms. Be encouraged in this. Now, in chapter seven, the scene takes another turn. In chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, the scene takes another turn and we see another player enter the room. We see someone else enter into the throne room. Let's read it. Chapter 13, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Right? So now we have a new scene. A new player enters the room. And this player comes into the throne room of God. This man comes in and it says that he looks like the son of man, like a son of man. And he comes to the ancient of days and was presented before him. Now, church, Jesus called himself over and over again, the Son of Man. It was his favorite way to refer to himself. And we believe that this Son of Man in this text is the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ himself. He enters into the throne room and he is presented before God. And it says, verse 14, to him was given all dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and all nations and all languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So Jesus enters into the throne room and he's presented before the judge who sits on the throne of fire, the ancient of days. And the judge rules him worthy of dominion. The son of man, church, is the true and faithful man. Right? He's the one who is able to stand before God in judgment and is found true, faithful, innocent, pure. He's the one who is found worthy before God. One commentator said, the son of man is everything that the first man, Adam, was not. In the garden, Adam was given dominion over all things, and then he sinned and fell short of God's glory. And since then, we have all been trying to regain this dominion. We struggle and we fight and we work ourselves up in a frenzy, each trying to earn authority and acceptance. We have toiled and we have fought and we have worked to regain dominion, to hold authority. And as one commentator said, we have all sought to regain our dominion without letting go of our sin. But when the Son of Man came, he lived without sin and thus was approved of his dominion over all things. Christ is presented before God because Christ lived in perfect obedience to God in every deed and in every thought, in all of his heart and in all of his works, because he lived in perfect active obedience before God. He's approved of and he's given dominion and he's given authority and he's given an eternal and encompassing kingdom. His dominion and his glory, his kingdom are given to him. The dominion is everlasting and it's not going to pass away. All these other kingdoms have been given their dominion. God gave Babylon dominion and Persia dominion and Rome dominion and he will take it all away. One day he will strip their dominion. He will remove their dominion. They will have no more power, no more authority. Their tyranny will not last. Their death that they bring will not continue. Yet Christ's dominion and authority has been granted to him everlasting, eternal. It will not fade. He is the everlasting ruler of an everlasting kingdom, which you and I are part of 
if we have placed our faith and trust in Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection. How beautiful is that? That in the midst of all the craziness of our world of kingdoms rising and kingdoms being brought low, of people struggling for authority and for rule, of, of evil being poured out from these kingdoms, there is one who is pure and who is good and who is just, who has a kingdom that will not fade away, will not be taken away. And you and I, because of our faith in Jesus, are a part of that everlasting kingdom. So what do we do with this? Allow me to give you just a couple pastoral charges, church. First, I encourage us to look to our big, sovereign, faithful God. Look to him. Look to him today and tomorrow and the next day for 30 days of quarantine and then beyond. Look to him in all of your years. Look to him. See him in his grandness. See that he is the ancient of days, that he is eternal. He always has been and he always will be. There's nothing new under the sun to him, church. Nothing catches him off guard including where we are at today. He is not young. He is not naive. He's not easily fooled. He has and will always have authority over all things. When it comes to age, he wins. When it comes to who will last the longest, he wins. When it comes to who has the most experience and wisdom, he wins. When it comes to who has insight, he wins. When it comes to who has the power, he wins. He is the ancient of days, the eternal one. Secondly, church, see that he is not panicked. He is not scrambling to figure your life out. He is sovereign. He knows all things and he is in control. From before the time began till after time ends, he knows all the events and the outcomes and the implications of all of this. He knows you lost your job. In church, I wrote almost all of these before the virus hit. It was true then and it's true today. He knows you lost your job. He knows you got a negative health report. He knows you are terrified about that meeting. He knows you are secretly struggling with that sin. He knows you are depressed, but hiding it really well. He knows what happened to you when you were alone as a child. He knows what goes through your mind when you are silent and alone now. He knows your friend you told about Jesus. He knows your fear to tell someone about Jesus. He knows how much you love your children, and he knows the mistakes that you've made as a parent. He knows about the election and who will be president and what that will mean for us. He knows about the virus, how it started, how many will get it, when it will end. He knows about the economy, how far it will fall, what it will cost you, how you will survive, and what he will teach you through it. He is not surprised by a single detail of any of this. He's not frantically trying to figure out how to hedge his bets and get his advantage. He's sitting on the throne of judgment over all things, and he is sitting there at peace with his authority and his plan. He is the good ancient of days. So when it costs you, and when you face loss and pain and sickness and death and grief, he is still on his throne, and he is still in control, and he is still good. But for those of you who are in Christ through faith, he has promised to preserve you through it. I didn't say he has promised to keep you from harm or to keep you alive or to protect what you have, but I said he has promised to preserve you. He will not lose you. If he has saved you, he will preserve you. And even if your trial ends in your suffering and death, he will bring you to himself because that's what he has set his way to do. Now allow me to speak another word to this. It is not my desire to speak to you about these trials and these struggles and God's faithfulness of if you just have enough faith, you won't fear, you won't worry, you won't have days of of struggle with this. That struggle and trial and persecution and pestilence and suffering won't disturb you. That's not the case. In fact, we see in Daniel chapter 7, the next verse, Daniel says, As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious and the visions of my head alarmed me. And then in verse 28, here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Even in the midst of Daniel's vision of God seated on his throne, the ancient of days, 
and the Son of Man receiving an eternal kingdom and dominion and God's authority to, to strip all of these other kingdoms out of their power. In the midst of this, Daniel still felt anxiousness. He lost the color in his cheeks. He was worried and confused and, um, and brought low by it at times. That makes sense, and that's okay. It's not that faith in God brings us to a place where we never experience those feelings or those thoughts or those worries or that anxiousness. But it's these visions of God, these grand visions of God, which Daniel has shared with us, that compels us to bring that anxiousness and that um, color-ridden flesh and that um, the worry back to that throne of God, back to the Ancient of Days and to the Son of Man, to lay them before them and to go, here's where I'm at. This is what I'm feeling. This is what's going on. And I bring it to you. I need help trusting you. I believe, but help my unbelief. Help me to have faith today. And so bring those doubts and those worries, church, to him. He knows them. The Ancient of Days and the Son of Man know them. And they care. They will comfort you in those places. Bring them to him. So first, I ask you to see that God is the Ancient of Days, that he is eternal. Secondly, that he is not panicked or frantic, not scrambling to figure things out, for he is sovereign. Thirdly, see that he is, excuse me, thirdly, see that he is to be feared. He is the judge of all peoples, nations, and tongues. There is an appropriate fear of this, that he sits on a throne of fire. Even for the believer, may it strike a fear of respect within us, that apart from the work and the person of Christ, which we have placed our faith in, we would have no hope but to be consumed by the fire of the throne of God. Right, if you are here and you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're listening to this today, watching this from your device, and you're not a follower of Jesus, you've never placed your faith in him. Men, know that he is a God who sits on judgment for sin, for rebellion towards him, that he will give the final verdict, and that he has said that there is a way to receive pardon. And there is only one way, he says, to receive pardon. And that way is Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. That if you confess your sins, that if you repent of those and you place your faith in Jesus, his perfect life, his death on the cross as a substitution for our sin and his resurrection, that you will be saved. Believe in him today, church. Believe in him if you're here and you've not trusted Christ. Believe in Christ. Look to him and receive pardon. He promises to give it to you if you will look to Christ in faith. In church, this goes for us as well. Each day, we continue to look to Christ. We continue to, to give our hope and our faith, place it upon the person and the work of Christ. The temptation to look to ourselves and to better ourselves and to improve ourselves continues. Yet, we look to Christ. We come to Christ. We place our faith in him anew each day, reminding ourselves that he is He is our pardon. Find life in that today, church. And then, I leave you with this. May the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man comfort you through the gift of the Holy Spirit today. May you know He sees you, that He is in control, and that He is good. Trust in Him and hope in Him in this life and the next Church, I pray you are encouraged by his word, his word that was written so long ago, that is so applicable for us today. May you see his goodness, the ancient of days goodness for you in that very fact today. And may you find life in it. Church, your pastors love you. I love you. Can't wait to see you again and to hug you again. Can't wait to be with you again. Until that time, keep looking to the Lord, stay in his word, stay in prayer, reach out to us if you need help, encouragement, comfort, counsel. Reach out to one another, care for one another, love for one another. 
And church, have faith. Your son of man sits on the throne that is eternal. This dominion that we are in now will fade away, but he will not. One day we'll join that multitude around his throne evermore. It'll be a great day. Until that day, we love you. And uh, man, stay faithful. Thank you for watching this Amaze KC podcast. More information about Amaze KC can be found available online at www.amazekc.com.